and welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a show about the future. Every episode, we take on a specific possible or not so possible future scenario. We always start with a little field trip into the future to check out what's going on. And then we teleport back to today to talk to experts about how that world that we just heard might really go down. Got it? Great. This episode, we're starting in the year 2028. Hello, and welcome to Love Child. I'm Katie Berenson, and I'll be guiding your tour today. How's everybody doing today? Raise your hand if it's your first time here at Love Child. Okay, a few first-timers, a few returning visitors, great. I hope by the end of this tour, you'll consider becoming permanent residents of Love Child, our lovely city. Before we begin, a bit of safety. Please stay seated for the duration of this tour. The monorail does make some wide but surprisingly powerful turns, and we don't want anybody toppling over now, do we? Okay, great. On your left, the parking lot you just parked in. Trust me, the tour gets better from here. <laughs> First, a little bit of history. Love Child was founded in 2026 by Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanota, who you probably know better as Lady Gaga. Stephanie had the idea to develop her own city when she was a little girl, but sometimes permitting takes a long time, right? Yes, I see the city planners. Yes, you know what we're on. We're up to here. Today, Love Child is a state-of-the-art city built around three key tenets, love, power, and play. You can see our city motto and seal on nearly every building, lamppost, and sewer grate, LPP. Okay, now look to your left and you should be able to see the downtown area of Love Child. As you can see, we're currently celebrating the 20 year anniversary of Stephanie's first breakout album, The Fame. One of the incredible things about living in Love Child is that not only do you get early access to information, merchandise, and even music from Stephanie and her team, you also get to celebrate milestones with fellow fans. My personal favorite right now is the themed drinks at our Starbucks, which of course we call Cup of Kindness. You can get a bright pink ombre latte that gives you the cutest glitter milk mustache. Okay, moving on. On your right, you'll see the very first neighborhood of Love Child, styled after the album Stupid Love. Each of our neighborhoods is thematic, and you can choose whichever fits your personal style best. Getting between neighborhoods is incredibly easy, too. Not only do we have this monorail system, Love Child is outfitted with state-of-the-art, completely green public transportation that's free to all of our residents. Stephanie believes that the future should be accessible to everyone, and Love Child is built with all needs and income levels in mind. On your left is the Love Child High School, where you can cheer on the monsters as they take on our rivals, the Katie Cats. Who will win? It doesn't really matter, but we're all having fun, and the halftime shows are divine. One fun fact, all these ferns you see on the left and right of the tram right now, they're all members of a genus called Gaga, named after Stephanie herself. 
Okay, hold on, we're entering the entertainment zone. This is my favorite part. Who is ready for some karaoke? It's mandatory here in Love Child, so get ready to sing. Okay, today we are talking celebrity cities, cities built by celebrities. And this episode was suggested by a friend of the show, Lux Alptrum, who sent me an article about a very specific celebrity who is actually doing this. An artist, an icon, uh, a philanthropist, uh, and someone I want to just consider family, man. This is my brother, Akon in the building. Salute, King. If you are not familiar with the name Akon, you're almost certainly familiar with some of his music. So Akon was pretty much just kind of like the peak mid-aughts, you know, R&B, hip-hop, pop star. This is Britney Spanos, a senior writer at Rolling Stone. Akon's hits include Right Now, parentheses, Na Na Na. And yes, the Na 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 is technically part of the song title. I wanna be Just as a side note, I went down a small rabbit hole uh, researching songs with parenthetical titles, and I found a list of them, and they include such bangers as Single Ladies, parentheses, Put a Ring on It, parentheses, You Drive Me, close parentheses, Crazy, How Sweet It Is, parentheses, To Be Loved By You, Major Tom, parentheses, Coming Home, and Pretty Fly, parentheses, For a White Guy, close parentheses. Anyway, back to Akon. If right now, Na 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 is not ringing a bell, you might instead recognize this song. That is Smack That with Eminem. Basically, if you imagine in your mind that sort of peak, mid to late aughts, sort of synthy hip-hop pop crossover, Akon was probably involved in it somehow. He, like, discovered Lady Gaga, like, just, like, a really wacky career trajectory after about, like, 2010. But, yeah, he's sort of just, like, one of those people who have come and gone from the 2005-ish era of music. But Akon is not just a musician. Like many famous artists, he is also an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. He's funded solar panels to bring lights to rural parts of Guinea, Senegal, Mali, Niger, Benin, Sierra Leone, and a handful of other countries in Africa. He has a foundation called Confidence Foundation, which is spelled with a K, obviously, to help underprivileged children. And in 2018, Akon announced that he was going to build a city. Here he is talking about it with Nick Cannon on Power 106 Los Angeles in November of last year. You got you building your own city. Like, like tell me about that, man. Like, and is it is it called Acon Land? Acon, <laughs> Aconville. It's Acon City. Is it? The city is gonna be called Acon. <laughs> so it's, it's the Acon. and it's like a new, like it's a future city. Like yeah. everything's ran on like futuristic stuff, it's, right? It's all renewable. The Acon Solar Tainment City is all renewable. And this ain't like no right. Sims game or not. Like this is a real physical place uh, that people can go to. <laughs> yeah, a real physical place. It's gonna have a real airport. Uh, <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> my man got his own city. It's like it's some so, real coming to America. If he got his own money, like you, you got an A coin and you have your own city. That's right. how. And when will Acon 
city be be complete? Uh, well, it's a, it's a ten year uh, building block, so we're doing it in stages. We started construction in March, right? And stage two is going to be twenty twenty five. And where is where's the city located? It's in Senegal, Senegal, West Africa. Right, right. right. Yeah. Man, I, your own city. That's yeah. that's that's richer than the billionaires. Akon City. And this is not just two guys kind of making stuff up on the radio. This is a real project. It's about 10 minutes from the brand new international airport just outside of Dakar, Senegal. This is John Karras. I am the president and co-founder of Acoin. Oh, right. There's cryptocurrency involved here, which we will get to in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the city. Akon City. In January, Akon and his team reached a deal with the Senegalese government over the land that the city will be built on. There's been some information put out there that isn't quite correct that the land was a gift. We wish it was a gift. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, 2,000 acres of land, including a decent hunk of beachfront. I have yet to find anybody that's, that's offering to provide that as a gift to anyone. But if, I, if, if anyone knows of somebody like that, I'd love to meet them. Now they are working on the planning part of the city, which is a huge task because every single piece of Akon City is going to be planned. The vision for the city is to have a green, forward-thinking, blockchain-enabled smart city that is master-planned to provide a a different kind of of future uh, living environment. They're going to have sports stadiums and resorts on the beach and office buildings and schools and apartments. A forward-thinking public transportation system. Right now we're engaged in discussions with multiple uh, designers, developers, and operators of autonomous uh, vehicle solutions uh, for efficiency and all of that. There will be a promenade along the beach with shops and resorts. I think actually, you know, in terms of the vibe of it, I think the goal is for it to to be and feel a bit like uh, a bit like the south of France slash um, Monaco would be that that meets that meets you know I hate to say it out loud but I'm going to anyway it's sort of like that meets Wakanda or a future vision of 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 Africa. Monaco meets Wakanda. That's the idea, at least. And they are hoping to learn from other cities that have gone up recently to get some lessons on what to do and what to avoid. John mentioned, for example, a city in Kenya called Mwale Medical and Technology City, a sort of similar concept created and largely funded by a wealthy man named Julius Mwale. Akon and Julius are apparently friends, and John and Akon have watched that $2 billion city successfully go up over the past few years. The city is now about 80% complete, and there are 30,000 residents. They also made a lot of really smart choices. I think they built one of the the biggest, uh, most forward-thinking solar-generated power plants, certainly on the continent of Africa and and one of the more advanced ones on the the planet as a whole, uh, and that powers uh, the city. They've also been keeping an eye on some recent city-building projects that haven't gone quite so well. When you spend the time to, to think and learn from the lessons of even the recent past, there's all kinds of opportunities, um, especially looking at a lot of these cities, including ghost cities that went up in China over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think there's some real great lessons, both, both of things to emulate and things to maybe do slightly differently. 
The ghost cities he's referring to are a series of cities that went up all over China that wound up sitting mostly empty for years. Today, a lot of those ghost cities are in fact filling up, albeit slowly. But for a long time, there were these big, totally built places that had almost no people living in them. There's a really interesting book about this called Ghost Cities of China by Wade Shepard, if you want to learn more about them. But the thing to know for our purposes is that Akon doesn't want to build a ghost city. He wants to build a city that people will live in. And how involved is Akon in sort of the planning of the city? He was on multiple of those calls I mentioned to you earlier. He's, he is involved in every detail, every decision. Again, it's called Akon City, and it's not like, yeah, let those guys do it and tell me when they're done. It's No, it's he's so passionate about this, you couldn't even imagine he is involved in every detail. And I mean, literally, there's drawings of things that I'm like, that looks good. He's like, yeah, and I want to get this shipped. And I'm like, Bill, you think anyone will notice? And he goes, I notice. I want it to be just like this. I'm like, okay. So yeah, he's very, very, very involved. Has there ever been anything that Akon has asked for and you've had to be like, sorry, that's just not possible? Um, can I get away with just saying yes? <laughs> I mean, if you can say um, more, I'd love to know. <laughs> uh, you know, let's put it this way. Akon is, he's an amazing, he, first of all, he's incredibly technologically savvy, w- way way more than I am. I'll openly say it to anyone that'll ask. I mean, he's, the guy is nothing short of brilliant. Yeah, are there things that he asks about that that um, that are maybe a little ahead of the time? Um He's always looking to push the envelope. He's always looking to find the solution. Sometimes the solution doesn't exist yet. He'll he'll often say, well, first, let's research the daylights out of it and get our, our team on that. And secondly, if we don't have to make a decision at this particular second, if we can wait a day, a week, a month, three months, let's track you know the people that are closest to whatever that that item is that he's imagining and see if they can crack it before we have to make a choice of which company to go with or you know how how forward looking whatever that piece of technology or design element might be so this really is Acon City not just a city that Acon happened to help fund but i wanted to know just how acon centric it would be and, you know, if I were to visit, when, when I visit in the You're future. You're coming, girl. We're bringing you. City, You're coming. Yes. <laughs> when I visit, is there anything that's going to, like, make it super obvious that this is Akon City? Like, are you going to play his music everywhere? Uh, like, or is it going to just feel like a future city? <laughs> uh, you know, let's put it this way. Yes, there will be things that are Akon driven, but it's not not meant to be on every building and such and so. It's like, you know, uh, you know, you and I being from the New York area, it's not like you're going to find, you know, 22 buildings that say Trump Tower, Trump. Mm. Trump. No, it's not going to it. There will be some of that, but uh, but not heavy handedly. So. Um, so, no, it's meant to be a, you know, a forward thinking well-planned, technologically advanced city of the future. So, no, Akon's music will not be mandated in every elevator, but he will have a home there, as will his family. Does he plan on spending, you know, a decent amount of time there? He, uh, he definitely does. And when he does live there, when he goes to the corner store to buy a soda or something, if that's a thing that Akon does, I don't know, he'll be able to pay with his very own cryptocurrency called Acoin. 
We're not going to get too deep on how cryptocurrency works on this episode, but the basic gist is that Acoin will allow people to convert a couple of different kinds of currency into Acoin, including prepaid cell phone minutes, which is a really common form of currency in places like Senegal. And of course, Acoin will be accepted as payment everywhere in Acon City. It's, it's actually quite similar to, to what people are doing in China with WeChat Pay and Alipay. Uh, and what Apple is trying to do with Apple Pay here. Um, It's just a digital payment solution. The plan is to start breaking ground in 2021 and to have phase one of the city done by 2024, at which point some people will be able to move in. And right now, John says that everything is on schedule and is going according to plan. And of course, he invited me to come visit when it's done. So in four years, we'll have to do an update episode from Acon City. Do you think that this city is going to inspire other celebrities who might have a similar sort of entrepreneurial philanthropic bent to try a similar city building project? We hope so. I mean, look, the, the world the world can benefit from more innovation, more deployment of resources to, to level the playing field and give all kinds of people opportunity all around the world. So we sure hope that other people jump in and, and again, work to create a better future for everybody. First Akon City, then, I don't know, maybe Rihanna City, Beyonce City, Taylor Swift City. If stars do follow Akon's lead, what does that actually look like? And is this the first time a celebrity has founded their own city? The answer to that last question is no. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some past cities founded by very famous people. I read that he was six foot nine. Is that true? Yes, he was six foot nine. (laughs) He had very strange proportions, actually, and it's still debated exactly what was going on medically. We don't know for sure, but he was six foot nine. He had incredibly long limbs, obviously, and his hands and feet were just crazy big. More on this incredibly tall, strange man and his city when we come back. So Akon is not alone in his dreams of building his own city. Not today and not in the past. Roman cities were constantly being founded and named after military men. Henry Ford created a city in Brazil called Fordlandia, which is mostly now deserted. Edgar Rice Burroughs, the guy who wrote the book Tarzan, founded his own community called Tarzana, which still exists today. But the example that I want to talk about is not in the United States or in Greece or in Italy. It's in Russia. Um, It's probably still not really on on the major list of of destinations around the world, but it absolutely should be. Um, When I first went there in 1998, I literally was warning people that you would need a guide to be able to see the city. It was very difficult. It was very um, hard to navigate. There's almost nothing in English. That's all changed just drastically over the past 20 years so that it's now a very easy city to visit. And it is seriously the most extraordinarily beautiful place on Earth, in my opinion. This is Dr. Kate Antonova, a historian at Queens College in New York. And the city she is talking about is St. Petersburg. I think I would just say that everyone who can possibly get a chance, obviously not real soon, but whenever the world opens up again to go to St. Petersburg, For those of you who are not up on your Russian geography, St. Petersburg is in the northwestern part of Russia, about 400 miles from Moscow, up on the Baltic Sea. And it was founded by a very interesting man named Peter the Great. Okay, so we're talking about the late late 1600s, late 17th century into the early 18th century. 
So it's Peter the Great, he's got, you know, the title the Great as one of those most memorable, most notable of all the Russian czars. But Peter the Great is notable not just because he was royalty, which obviously helps, but he was also an incredibly commanding person physically. He was six foot nine with these super long arms and legs and notably gigantic hands. During his court in the early 18th century, there was a big fad for so-called freaks, as they called them at the time. People with very unusual features and so on were brought to royal courts to sort of be shown off as entertainment. It should go without saying, but I'm going to just pop in and say it anyway, that this is a really terrible thing to do. And the legacy of freak shows is long and extremely awful. Don't laugh at people who might appear different from you, okay? So Peter the Great had so-called freaks brought to court, including giants who were unusually tall people. And the joke for everyone at the court was they had to all ooh and ah about these giants and how crazy they are. And they were all shorter than the Tsar himself. (laughs) But being gigantic and being a Tsar doesn't necessarily make you a celebrity. The concept of a celebrity, the way we think about it now, didn't really exist as much back then. In fact, a recent book called Dead Famous by a historian named Greg Jenner traces the history of celebrity and argues that the concept as we know it now really started in the early 1700s. Peter the Great is probably the best fit, I would say, as one of the earliest celebrities. And Greg Jenner actually does date the history of celebrity to around 1703, which is really interesting because that's when Peter the Great founded St. Petersburg. Um, He was famous throughout the world and not just as a czar, which I think is really important. And his reputation was not just about whether he was, you know, a good ruler, you know, a great warrior, any of those things that royal reputations tended to be about. It was much more about his personality, um, his private life, his physical features. All of those things are part of the legend. And that's not typical for royalty either. That's really about celebrity. Um, So I think he's absolutely a perfect fit with the definition of celebrity. Peter was also obsessed with learning how things worked, and he would travel incognito around Russia to learn how to build ships or bridges or infrastructure. And this created for him a reputation all over Western Europe of this extraordinary man, not just an extraordinary czar, although all that stuff is especially unusual given that he's royalty, but that he was so talented, that he was so curious, that he was so strange looking, that he was, had such a magnetic personality. All of those things were wrapped up into it, and that's obviously celebrity. And then, the story goes, in 1703, Peter the Great was galloping across the marshlands around the Baltic Sea, and he decided that here, on this swampy, soggy spot, there would be a city. His city, St. Petersburg. It was a grand plan, and also a really bad one. It is the last place on Earth you would ever want to put a city. And I say that as it's my favorite city on Earth. It's my favorite place on this planet. I love it, but it is a stupid place to put a city. (laughs) It is literally a swamp. Um, They've had tuberculosis continues to be a problem even to this day. There's been Giardia in the water supply until relatively recently. There has been massive floods um, with climate change. We might, you know, see really, really serious issues with St. Petersburg. It is a, a terrible place to put a city. But Peter wanted this spot because it was on the water. And at the time, Russia was locked in this great northern war with Sweden. And it was during the process of that war that Peter the Great first had a terrible defeat, actually, in this territory in the the general area of St. Petersburg, which I think was a major uh, sort of 
turning point in his life. He didn't like defeat very much. Um, and so he worked for many years after that to not only win the war, but to make sure he got that territory and then to build a city after himself on that spot as if to say to the world, I am not a loser. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's how closely connected this is to his personal psychology is, is interesting because to this day, we have a city of five million people on a really unhealthy spot, subject to floods, because his ego was so important. And so he decided that the city would be there in the swamp. And because he was the czar, he could not only decide that, he could also make it happen. He forced, you know, all of of the elite servitors of his government to build nice, big, stone, impressive palaces on swampy land. To build these big stone palaces, the elite brought in a huge workforce of servants called serfs. And in the 18 years of construction on St. Petersburg, a ton of serfs worked and died in the swamp. It's actually really hard for historians to even put a number on how many of these indentured workers set foot in the city and how many were buried there. In researching this episode, I saw all kinds of numbers. Some say that 500,000 serfs worked in the city, and the death toll is even harder to count. It could be anywhere from 20,000 to 100,000 or more. Nobody officially counted because the officials didn't care about these people. The population of Russia, it's, it's at this point during Peter's time, about 90 percent peasants. And they're treated as cannon fodder in wars. And when it's not wartime, the serfs are pretty expendable in the way that they were thought of by, by the aristocracy and by the state. And so you would just use them as needed and keep bringing in more to build your city. The goal was to build the city and to please the czar. And so that's what they did without a lot of great record keeping, which means we don't have numbers. This death toll, however big it is, has led some people to call St. Petersburg the city built on bones. All because Peter the Great wanted his city to be there, in this marshland. And Peter got what he wanted. But he didn't really get to see the end result, the city that Kate loves so much. By the time Peter the Great dies, relatively early in 1725, he died of natural causes, the city was really still a swamp with a few palaces, <laughs> um, some like just breathtaking palaces in a swamp um, with very little around it. So I'm not sure I would call that a city yet, although it's certainly, I mean, it's not a village. What is it exactly? It's, it's a few palaces in a swamp, right? It's a very odd thing at Peter's death. After his death, Peter's daughter Elizabeth took on her father's pet project and continued it perhaps out of loyalty to her dad. And then after that, Catherine the Great is the one who makes St. Petersburg one of her big endeavors. Because for her, being tied to Peter is an extremely savvy political move. She uh, is a German princess. Uh, she's not actually a blood relation of Peter the Great. And she had to kill her husband to get into power through a palace coup. So she is very tenuously in power, and she works incredibly hard to tie her legacy to that of Peter the Great, even though there's no real reason for that. Catherine worked to finish the city, and she commissioned this very famous statue, which, of course, commissioning a statue is a big deal thing to do at the time. The equestrian statue of Peter the Great, and she has written on the base of it to Peter from Catherine, which is meant to make that connection between the two of them. And it's this marvelous, it was one of the great artworks of the time, and it's still a really amazing statue. It's not your usual boring equestrian statue. It's Peter the Great sort of leaping on his horse off into the future towards the West. I will post a picture of the statue on the website and on our social pages. It is pretty cool looking. 
And there is some really interesting stuff to say about the actual art and construction of this statue, which we are not going to get into here, but patrons will hear all about it on the bonus podcast this week. So a reminder that if you want that kind of deeper, fun, facty stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes, head to patreon.com slash flashforwardpod and become a patron. Anyway, thanks to Catherine, St. Petersburg becomes the city that Peter the Great really dreamed of. Part of the reason that it's interesting to me to think about this city in the context of this episode is that, like, okay, so let's say a celebrity now establishes a city and they set the tone, right? They kind of, like, create the vibe of the city, however you want to say it. And then, of course, like, eventually they die and that city still exists. And then it, like, what it sort of permutates and, like, mutates into its own thing. And so seeing that have ha- happen for St. Petersburg has sort of been super interesting, right? Because it, it has maintained a lot of the the gist that Peter the Great kind of wanted <laughs> in a way that I think is really impressive, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention, it has retained that despite being called Leningrad, I mean, a real concerted effort to erase Peter from the legacy. It came roaring back the second there was a chance for that. They almost One of the first things uh, that the city does after the collapse of the Soviet Union is to rename it St. Petersburg. If you go there today, Peter is everywhere. His face is on you know, just everything, all the advertising on buildings. His name is on everything. There's a beer named after him. I mean, he's just, he's everywhere. And so the what began as a celebrity city around a living celebrity has become celebrity kitsch, just like often happens with celebrities today too, right? So if you, I have never been to St. Petersburg, obviously, but if you are a person who goes there or lives there, like, you know what he looks like. You would recognize oh my him immediately. God, yes. My four-year-old daughter knows what he looks like because we just spent six months there. And in fact, we, you know, we're quizzing our daughters when we look at statues and stickers and whatever. There's stuff all over St. Petersburg. Uh, if he has a mustache, it's Peter the Great. If he has sideburns, it's Pushkin. <laughs> <laughs> there are Peter the Great impersonators who walk around the city in the spring and fall. Literally people dressed up as the city's celebrity founder just wandering around all the time. Wow, that's incredible. Do they wear stilts to be taller? No, they don't. And that's my biggest gripe. They do pick <laughs> actors who are tall, but like they're nowhere near tall enough. <laughs> so I get kind of picky about that. Um, they should really be so much bigger. But how often can you find someone who could actually look like Peter the Great? And even beyond just his face being everywhere, Peter's mark is indelible on the city, on the way it's designed and laid out. Absolutely. Completely. I would say everything about it, actually. Petersburg is really fascinating as one of the first cities that is planned completely from the beginning. So the the main kind of geographical orientation of St. Petersburg is that it begins with the fortress of St. Peter and Paul, named after the saints, um, but coincidentally named Peter's in there. Um, so the fortress, which was the first major thing built to protect the city, obviously, and then right across the river from it is the Admiralty, where they build the ships that will also protect the city. So the center is not yet government or anything else. The center is building ships and a fortress, because that's what Peter loves. And so the focal point is not so much state power or the monarch, but the Navy, because he was obsessed with boats. He'd been making boats by hand with his own hands since he was a child. It was a major childhood experience for him to learn how to make ships. And he created the first Russian Navy because it was mostly a landlocked empire um, until Peter the Great made sure he could get his boats. It's really about a little boy who loves boats (laughs) is what he keeps coming back to. This is what it means to design a city when you're a celebrity. It's about making your mark in the literal footprint of a place that people will then live in. 
It's about setting a tone and a way of thinking about the world and a physical infrastructure that will hopefully live on past you. Whether that's centering the city around your boat obsession or creating a green cryptocurrency Wakanda meets Monaco, the choices that these celebrities make about their cities set the tone for what the city will be like, both physically and sort of spiritually. There's a reason that city building is alluring to people with money and power. You get to create your vision from the ground up. You get to dictate how things will move and flow and create a space that has your DNA in every brick, every turn, every weird little angle on the map. Every time someone pays in Acon City, they will be given the option to pay with Acoin. They might not realize it, but the way they move on their way to work or to the store will be defined in some small way by Akon. So what happens when more celebrities today get on this train? Who might be next after Akon? Whose city would you want to live in? And whose would you want to avoid at all costs? What kinds of celebrities might actually take this project on? And which ones would never dare? Streets are covered in glitter. When we come back, we're going to dive into the world of today's celebrities and talk about whose cities would be great and whose cities would be terrible and whose cities would be terrible but also great. But first, a quick break. So I know that this probably sounds totally bizarre to some of you, but I don't actually think it's that wild to predict that some celebrities besides Akon might decide to break ground on a city. So hear me out. Staying on top, in the music business especially, is really hard. Especially in pop music, after you hit a certain amount of time in pop, you don't make the same hits, you don't make the same money on touring, depending on who you are. Um, it's really select few. There's a, a 1% of the 1% that succeeds. That's Brittany Spanos again, senior writer at Rolling Stone. And to stay relevant and stay wealthy, Musicians will often branch out to things like makeup or fashion or home goods. Beyonce has a line at Adidas. Almost every celebrity these days has a fragrance. Rihanna has a lingerie line and a makeup line. Then there's the rise of influencer culture. People who aren't huge A-list celebrities, but who are building these online and in-person brands. In Los Angeles, there are several houses that groups of TikTok stars have moved into to make videos and content together. Dolly Parton has Dollywood, an incredibly successful place that people go to to experience her vision. It's not quite a town, but it's not that far from it either. You can also think about places like Marfa, Texas, where one really influential rich person can kind of reshape a town that already existed into his own vision. Tony Shea kind of tried to do something like that with downtown Las Vegas recently as well. And I think given all of the trends that we're seeing in celebrity culture and brand building and empire building, it's not actually that weird to think that either the biggest A-list stars or those up-and-coming rich influencers might try to create their own places, their own towns. I think that the people who would most likely think about it in my head would be like the already kind of either billionaire or close to billionaire bracket of musicians who like are in that frame of mind where they would just like start up things. So like Beyonce and Jay-Z, I can totally see them actively starting the city. 
Beyonce was, of course, the first person who came to my mind as well, just because she seems like the kind of person who would actually succeed at something as hard as building a city. You know, not just talking about it, but actually making it happen. Rihanna, too, given her other successful business ventures, might dip a toe into city creation. Oh, Rihanna would definitely. I think, like, oh, who else would do it? I feel like there's probably, like, a shocking number of people who would, like, if they had the chance to jump on it, would do it in a way that, like, we're probably not prepared for them doing. Like a, a Jeremy Renner city. <laughs> Jeremy Renner. I feel like if Taylor Swift had the opportunity to, she might. I don't think she would, like, choose to do it. But if it were offered to her, like, she would take it. Another person that I can see doing this is Jojo Siwa. Like, it has to be the people who are really already thinking bigger than, like, music, which is like Akon has been kind of out of music for a few years and doing other business ventures. And it's like the people like someone like Jojo Siwa is like ripe for that because she has so many business ventures. Like she's partnered with Target and Michaels and obviously Nickelodeon. And she's like makes millions every year based off of just products that like her starting a city where she can like fill it with her own spawn con is ideal. If you are not familiar with Jojo Siwa, she is a former child star who appeared on the show Dance Moms and has leveraged that into an incredible amount of money and fame. She is only 17 years old, but Cosmopolitan estimates that between her merch, her touring, and her YouTube channel, she's worth about $12 million. I got my birthday outfit on right now. I got the boomerang jacket from tour on. I got my unicorn shirt on. I got my purple pants on. I got my cool shoes on. I got my sunglasses. I got my JoJo bow. I got everything. Also, in looking up how much JoJo Siwa is worth, I learned that her fans are called Siwanators, with a Z at the end, which is absolutely deranged, and I kind of love it. Another thing I learned is that in 2019, the FDA issued a warning related to JoJo Siwa's cosmetics that said that there were alarming levels of asbestos in them. So hopefully her city has less asbestos than her cosmetic line. Now, JoJo's town might not be, like, my cup of tea. Streets are covered in glitter. But it would probably be more functional than other celebrity cities that you could imagine. I was going to ask you if you had to pick a celebrity that you would move to their city, whose would it be? I would probably want to move to a city that's owned by someone a lot hooier, just because I feel like it would be funny <laughs> just to live there, to, like, live in, like, Rita Ora's, like, Ohio city that she would start up and just see the way, I don't know, I feel like she would just be, like, too present as the mayor of that city. Like, I would just, like, see Rita Ora everywhere. And everyone would be like, why does Rita Ora suddenly have so many top 10 hits? And it's because she's just playing her own music on repeat in her city. And I feel like it would look like the city from The Hunger Games. Who is Rita Ora, you ask? Great question. She is the Who Queen, for those of you who listen to Who Weekly. And she is ostensibly a singer. But what Rita Ora is really known for is that she's really, really good at keeping herself in the news through all kinds of influencer deals and clever tabloid bait. She's one of those people who is constantly being covered by magazines, but when you see her face, you're like, wait, who is that? The thing that a lot of these people have in common is that they're really good at branding. And that would probably extend to the city. So imagine this. You're a musician putting out music and you have a city. So you could, like you heard in our little fictional intro, create these incredible branded experiences for residents. 
because so much of music, especially pop now, is based on image and based on like how that image relates to the actual music that you're producing um, and like making that just like one big package. Like I, I would be so shocked if like the cities didn't shape shift with every new album and like go through just like huge era redesigns every every time new music is coming from each of these artists like a gaga city would just like be so insane because it would go from just being kind of like a star is born theme <laughs> then all of a sudden it's like chromatic i mean she literally created a a universe for her new album <laughs> just be like okay we're gonna we're gonna pivot to that and so now you all have to adhere to my new my new vibe But maybe the people who live there would be totally fine with that because maybe that's why they live there. The worst part will be like the people who like are the super stands but can't move to the city. And then it would be a a giant war between the stands who can like live in the city versus the people who like cannot. Stands are super fans, in case that's not a term you're familiar with. It actually comes from an Eminem song named Stan about a hyper obsessed fan whose name was literally Stan. I'm picturing, like, a small child making, like, a PowerPoint to convince their parents that they need to move to JoJo's U.S. City. In case you couldn't tell, I had a lot of fun with the intro for this episode, imagining a world where there are themed sports teams based on the stars and rivalries between celebrity cities. And I didn't even really have to make a lot of the details up for that intro. Lady Gaga actually did have a line of drinks at Starbucks once. And while Brittany and I had fun joking about Rita Ora City, I really don't think this is a completely bizarre idea. Akon is building a city. Past celebrities of various stripes have done the same. Current stars are looking for ways to branch out, to diversify their brand, to put their stamp on things. It remains to be seen exactly how Akon City will shake out. Maybe it will fizzle out and never actually be built. Maybe it will, and provide a model for other global artists to start shaping the world, physically. The idea that other stars might follow in Akon's shoes, to varying degrees of success, isn't that far-fetched. We've definitely done plenty of less likely episodes on this show. As for me, I am ready to move to Janelle Monet's city at any moment, so just say the word and I will pack my bags, and I'm there. That's all for this episode. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Evelith. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Hussalonia. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. Special thanks to Gina Delvac, who voiced the perky love child tour guide on today's episode. Check out her work on Call Your Girlfriend and other podcasts. Oh, and for those who are always wondering what the little references that I talk about in episodes are, take a close listen to the song that is playing during the tour. If you want to suggest a future for a future episode, send me a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas. And that's the email to send your little reference spots to as well. There is no statute of limitations. So if you're listening to old episodes and you find one, send me an email. And if you get it right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways you can do that. Head to flashforwardpod.com support for more about how to give. If financial giving is not in the cards for you, you can head to Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review or just tell a friend about the show. That really, really does help. That's all for this future. Come back next time and we'll travel to a new one.
talented, brilliant, incredible, amazing, show-stopping, spectacular, never the same, totally unique, completely not ever been done before, 